I want you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 1, and I'm going to read from verses 1 to 18, and this is the portion that Jason will be bringing the teaching to us this morning from, as we continue our Meet Jesus series in the book of John. John chapter 1. The Word became flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we've seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. He's made him known. G'day. If you want to be mask free on a Sunday morning, just offer to preach because there are exemptions. So take a deep breath now. It is really good to be together. Um, and I, I was just encouraged standing, hearing voices, singing to the Lord together. To be honest, I was thinking, well, I wonder how this will impact us. We haven't uh, done the mask together church service uh, yet in this part of the world. But I was encouraged to hear voices projected through fabric unto the Lord. And uh, it's a blessing to be led by some of our young people. Just, again, want to encourage our youth who are leading us in worship, thank you. You guys are, are doing well. I was blessed by your ministry to Jesus, so keep going. Um, I am continuing our Meet Jesus series. So, if, yep, there it is. Meet Jesus this is part three. You can uh, hear part one and two, which was introduction and context that Wayne shared with us. And I've been given the, the glorious and the daunting assignment of those verses Julie read, John 1. Verses 1 to 18, and it's quite a mouthful. There's quite a lot to to be said and to explore. And 
Uh, I hope that in the few comments I'm going to make, by no means covering all of the, uh, we would just, we would, we would just be, um, spurred on in, in just contemplating the beauty and the majesty of who he is. And, and I believe the Father who reveals himself through the Son, Jesus, wants to speak to us as children of God in our place in the family as well. So that's where we're going to end up today. We're going to start with John's introduction, and then we're going to apply this to who we are as children of God. So we know John's purpose. It's, it's in the verse that's up there. The end of the book, he writes, These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So where do you start? That's the end of the book. How's the book start? If you sit down to write the email, if you sit down to start writing the book, you want to introduce people to Jesus, this one you've been walking with, you've seen all these signs of wonders, you've seen him with your own eyes uh, die, you've seen him as a resurrected man, you've seen him ascend into the heavens. Where do you begin? Well, John goes big to begin his gospel, his book. He goes really big. He goes Genesis one big, right? The first words of John chapter one, in the beginning. We've heard these words before, haven't we? Yeah? In the beginning, God. Genesis one, verse one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so what John sets out to do right from the beginning, he's like, this is the lens I want to give people to look through when they when they meet Jesus when they introduce to who this man is he's deliberately gone back to the beginning of the Hebrew scriptures in the beginning God and it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God so John says let's go back to the beginning guys now this this is one of those verses where we could spend weeks talking or we could just spend time just silently going, wow. If you're a parent, you may have had that moment or those of you who have worked with children, there inevitably, inevitably comes a point in a child's life where they say, so where did God come from, right? Have you had that conversation, some of you? In the beginning, God. Okay, so where did God come from? And this is one of those questions that's a doorway into what some have called the ecstasy of non-comprehension. In the beginning, God. This is where John is, is putting our attention right here. In the beginning, God. Before that beginning, there was God. He was there before anything else was there. And he's the one who made everything else. Nothing exists without him. There wasn't anything before God, but there was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was nothing less than God himself. And it's in these kind of big thoughts the words begin to fail us. But uh, this image may help some of you that have borrowed from the Bible project, and it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't um, unpack the whole thing, but you, you might, oh, it didn't work. You've got to yell at me if I, if I press the button, it doesn't work. 
you can see the picture there of, of you know, the mind and the will and the words being spoken forth. So in a similar way that you would speak your words and your words would be a reflection of who you are, but they're distinct from who you are. They're going out from you. It's this kind of idea in the Hebrew worldview. So the word was with God, but then the word was God. And John's deliberately setting up a, a very confronting connection for his readers with no wiggle worm to say, oh, yeah, Jesus is a good guy who's uh, representing God to us. He's saying, no, he, he presents God to us because he is God. He was with God and he is God. And that's why when we see him, we see the fullness of God. So meet Jesus. Let me introduce you to my friend in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. The Word was God. Yeshua of Nazareth. Here he is. The divine become human. Walking among us. A little bit about Hebrew context for the Word. And Wayne touched very briefly on uh, the Greek word logos and the Greek worldview. And if you missed that one in uh, part two of this series, I encourage you to to just get into that, to hear the, what, what John's addressing in terms of the, the dualism, the Greek worldview that says, oh, there's a, there's a perfect something up there and down here we're just imperfect copies. That's not the biblical worldview. Um, I'm not going to explore that any further, but in terms of what this meant to the Jewish audience, the word of the Lord, it carries a lot of meaning for the Jewish readers in this context. He's provoking them to think of the powerful word of Yahweh. If Yahweh is an unfamiliar word to you, it's, it's one way of translating the name by which God revealed himself uh, in the scriptures. So several times in the Old Testament, God's word is depicted almost as a character that can be not just heard but seen. The word of the Lord appears and and the, this is John's very point that God and his word are the same yet distinct. There's something sent out from God to reveal him to us. There's a physical embodiment that can be heard and seen. The word of God that creates. The word of God that takes action. Some people in their attempts to find the words to express this meaning have translated this in ways like, in the beginning, God expressed himself. And that personal expression was this word. Or another translator tried this. He said, in the beginning was the word in action. I mean, we're just digging around for words to try and comprehend this uncreated one who was there before there was a beginning and now has been revealed to us. So just to give you two quick examples from the Old Testament um, of the, the word of Yahweh appearing. So this one in Genesis 15. After these things, the word of Yahweh came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Now notice in these couple of words on the screen, the subject of the verbs came, something came and something spoke is the word. The word came and the word spoke. And the word was seen in a vision. The word of Yahweh appeared to Abraham in a vision. And 
this this kind of language where we go, oh, is that just a weird like translation thing? No, there's something more to it. There's something about the word coming to us as a person. And this is what John is trying to capture in John chapter 1. The inference is God's word appeared in a visible form, a character that can appear to someone. Do you guys know the story of Samuel? Hannah cried out to the Lord. She had no children. She was given Samuel. She dedicated him to the Lord. He spent from an early age, he grew up in the temple with the priest, Eli. You remember that story? Yep. Good. 1 Samuel 3, we get this, this example. Uh, I'll just read some sections of it. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli and the word of Yahweh was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. Samuel was lying down in the temple of Yahweh where the ark of God was. Then Yahweh called Samuel and said, here I am. And he ran to Eli, the priest, and he said, here I am for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and he lay down. And it says this, now Samuel did not yet know Yahweh, nor had the word of Yahweh been revealed, which literally can be translated as made visible to him. So I, I say that to you to try and give you some context. So we're, we're wanting you to meet Jesus, wanting to introduce you to Jesus as John is doing as he writes John 1 verse 1. And he's saying, this is the word of the Lord that creates all things that appeared to Abraham. The word of the Lord that appeared to Samuel. This powerful creative word. This is the one, the person who is in relationship with God in the beginning and was himself God. And now this is the one who has come to us. One more example is Isaiah 55 to describe how the word of God functions in the scriptures. This is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So here's the takeaway from this opening line of John chapter 1. Meet Jesus, the eternal word. He is Yahweh. He's not just a representation of God. He is not a God as others like Jehovah's Witnesses would translate their Bibles. There's, there's no wiggle room here. Charles Spurgeon said, We cannot describe the deity of Christ in clearer language than John uses. He was with God. He was, was God. He did the works of God, for he was creator. If any doubt his deity, they must do so in distinct defiance of the language of Holy Scripture. Well done, Charles. Well said. So this is where we meet Jesus in this cosmic eternal, glorious setting. And then John goes on. I'm going to jump ahead to verse 4. In him was life. So John's just told us all things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And now in him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. Can you see the connection back to Genesis 1 again and how John's unpacking this? In the beginning, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And you want to get used to the theme of light as we go through John's gospel, because it's going to come up again and again and again. And for, for John, where there is light, there is life. Where there is darkness, there is no life. And so he says, this one, this one who created all things, who has life in himself, 
He's the light of the world. Now, again, John, as a Jewish man, what's his context? Things like Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light. Things like Numbers 6. It's by the the presence of the Lord that light comes, that grace and peace comes to Israel. Isaiah 49, when Isaiah is prophesying about the coming servant of the Lord, he says, He is appointed as a light for the nations, the servant of the Lord, that God's salvation may extend to the ends of the earth. And the word, the Torah, or the, the law of God is described as a light to guide the path of the obedient. The light of God, the light of his presence, the light of salvation, the light of his word. Jesus embodies all of this. This is all the stuff beneath these opening verses that John wants to connect his audience to. Jesus is the son of the father, the servant of the Lord, the word that became flesh. He embodies all of this Old Testament language, all of this imagery. It's him. Meet Jesus. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not grasp it. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not grasp it. I've chosen the word grasp because it's one of the words that can get translated a few ways. Your Bible might say the darkness has not overcome it. Or another translation will say the darkness has not understood it. And you can kind of debate back and forth. Well, maybe John meant this. John Maybe John meant this. Maybe John deliberately used an ambiguous word because he just knew we would enjoy the discussion years later. And he's like, yes, he's the light who overcomes darkness. Yes, he's the light who's not comprehended by the darkness. Whichever way you want to look at it, he is that light. The darkness did not grasp it, did not lay hold of it. This light was powerful because light and dark are opposites, but they're not equals. Isn't that true? They're opposites, but not equals. You go into a dark room and you light a small candle and the candle wins, right? The room full of darkness is lit up. It's not dimmed by the darkness. And in John, we'll see this theme again and again. For all its hostility, the darkness does not overcome the light. And there are many who are looking at Jesus but not perceiving. They don't comprehend this light that comes into the world. So John's introducing us to Jesus in this way, leading us to this very good news that not only is Jesus the word infinite and high, but he's stooped incredibly low. And he's the word of God, not just somewhere up there, but he's the one who is here. He says in verse 9, jumping ahead again, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Now, if you've read these verses since your youth, this may be like when I was a kid, I memorized John 1, this passage For, you know, decades, it's been part of my language. But when I sit back and I think again, okay, we started with the Word. Keep, Stay with me. Stay with John here. The Word who was with God, who was there in the beginning. All things are made through Him. What a statement to say, this one who is light is coming into the world. He's not just light somewhere in a galaxy far, far away. He's near. 
He's coming near. This is where chapter one's moving us. Meet Jesus, the one who is this infinitely great one, but the one who is coming to us. The one that John laid eyes on, the one he ate with, the one he walked with. This verse makes me think of that ancient promise of Isaiah 9. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You ever have one of those really rough nights where it feels like your only hope is when the sun comes? There's just something comforting after a rough night about those first rays of light. And it's like, oh, relief. You know, rough night as a parent or a rough night with fears or anxieties or, 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 or sickness, something about the comfort of the sunrise. And I just think of... The, the people of Israel living in deep darkness, longing for that light to dawn. And John's saying, this is the one. It's come. It's come. The one we've been waiting for. And for us, I think it's not too hard for us to elaborate on what it means to be in a world of deep darkness. A light has dawned. The one that gives light to everyone who's coming into the world. Here's the thing about the light that we're going to find in John. And here's the thing for us. Everyone wants to experience life. Everyone wants fullness of life. Everyone wants abundant life. But who will receive the light? In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. But we find that actually men love the darkness after the conversation in a few chapters with Nicodemus, that's what's going to be said. This is the verdict. Men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. People will hide from the light, try to cover up their dark side. If you want to hold on to doing things your way and not God's way, you will reject the light. Light is wonderful if you're willing to be seen. If you want reality, if you want truth and transformation, but if you want to hide, you're going to turn away from that light. The light shines in the darkness. The light shines, but people are affected by it in different ways. And this is going to be the question that comes to us again and again through John's book. What do you say? How will you respond? This is Jesus, light of the world. Will you turn towards him? Will you receive him? Or will you turn away from him? You can't have life without coming into the light. I remember years ago, I think it was one of my first online chats, like a bit of a milestone moment for some of my age. Yes, there was a time when we didn't chat online. And um, I've never really been into uh, online chatting, but... I remember just in being in a dialogue with this young guy once about, you know, Jesus promised abundant life. He's come and give us life to the full. And like so many others think, he was thinking about, I'm going to feel really good because he's going to give me abundant life. It's going to be living my best life. This doesn't line up with how John is introducing us to Jesus. He's saying, in him is life, but you've got to come to the light. And the things that are 
not so great are going to be seen and they're going to be dealt with. You don't just come on your terms. You come to him and he exposes all. He shines on all. And the good news is he can transform all. So there's more that we could say about the light. The God who speaks, let there be light. The same God who shines his light into the world in the person of Jesus. But as I said, light has come into the world, but people love darkness. That's what it says in John 3.19. So this connects to verse 10 where John goes next. He was in the world. Remember, he's the creator of all the world. The world was made through him, but the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. This is wrong on so many levels. This is the greatest injustice that he, creator of all things, comes into his creation and is not recognized or received. So John is saying the word who is in the beginning, the word who made the world, the word is the source of life. Without his life, none of us breathe another breath. The word who is light for all people, he came into the world, was not recognized or received. A stranger in his own house, unknown amidst his own handiwork. Men who he made, made nothing of him. Everyone wants life, but who will turn to the light? And John goes on, verse 12, to this very, very good news. Yet, yet, it's the little hinge for a big door about to swing open. Yet, he wasn't recognized, he wasn't received yet to all who did receive him. So here's the good news. There were some who did receive him. You can receive him. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right or the authority to become children of God. Yet to all who did receive him, I looked up to all, and it means whoever. It means you. If you receive him, you qualify for the promise that comes next to be given the right to become children of God, the right to become family. So the word, we start really big. We start Genesis 1 big, and now the word is drawing near. The light is coming into the world, and now we've got the language of family. This light for all people, he wants to make us children of God. So how can we get on this? in on this to those who received and to those who believe this is the way forward for the people who are in darkness who are longing for life but will they turn to the light john says receive and believe receive and believe what does that mean there's a lot of people talking about vaccination at the moment i'm not going to start an in-house debate right here right now but simply to say you can Say, oh, that's good, there's a COVID vaccine out there. But if you don't receive the vaccine, you won't be vaccinated, right? I think we can all agree on that. You don't just say, oh, that's good, there's a vaccine. I heard you can go to Claremont Showgrounds and you can get a needle in your arm. That, that's, that's great. That's not receiving what's on offer. If you want to be vaccinated, you have to go, you have to demonstrate belief through your action. So... Roll up for WA. Roll up for Jesus and say, 
Jesus, yes, I believe, I receive you. And receiving means taking Jesus as he is, as the one John is introducing us to. It doesn't mean here's a housemate that can stay and coexist with you as long as he doesn't play his music too loud. Right? This is receive Jesus, who is the Lord, who is the creator of all things, who has a say in everything you do, everything you think, every word you say, every plan you make. It belongs to him anyway. And now choosing to say, yes, yes, it's yours. I surrender. I submit to your leadership. I say, yes, in you there is life. Let your light shine on me. And whatever that brings about, whatever transformation needs to happen as the light shines in, I'm done with hiding. I'm done with pretending that I can do it my way. I receive and I believe Jesus. And that is the way we become children of God. It's not intellectual agreement that he's a nice guy or he's important. It's entrusting everything to him. He gave them the right the authority to become children of God. Don't get caught up on the language of rights like our culture does. In a, We have an entitlement culture that wants to demand our rights. We've got nothing that we can be entitled to in this conversation. We deserve hell, but the light shines. And if we receive the light, we become children of God, not just attendees at the church service, not just members of the organization. The Father who sent the Son does not want members for his organization. He wants children in his family. That's his desire for each and every one of you. John would go on later, years later, and he'd write that letter, First John, and say, Behold, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we would be called children of God, for that is what we are. You're not just recruited to be a, a bystander around the table. You're invited to sit next to him at the table and feast. And he says, what's mine is yours. Welcome into my house. You belong here. That is, that is your inheritance as a receiver of, of light. As one who says yes to Jesus, that's who you are. And I know there's people here, and we struggle with this. You struggle with this. You know, this the accusation of I shouldn't even be here. Who am I to be here? And, and yes, we've all messed up. Yes, we've all fallen short. But don't make your sin, your issues bigger than his desire and his ability to save you, to forgive you, to seat you at his table as a son, as a daughter, to share in a glorious inheritance forever. That's far bigger than, than your sin problems, than my stumbling, his desire and his power to save. If we would say yes, if we would repent, which means turn around, change and receive the light. I love the shift in language from the creator, the, the creator of all things, the eternal word, to now we're talking about a father and a son. And I'm skipping, I'm aware I'm skipping over so much of this passage and it doesn't feel right, but we're just going to keep going. I mean, this statement deserves a series in itself, doesn't it? The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. 
And as Wayne said a few weeks ago, in a, in a, to those who are in the Greek culture reading this, that's just so offensive. That's just so mind-blowing. God becoming flesh, that's, that's a new idea. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. He's not just out there. He's here and He's near and He's pursuing us. And we've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father. So now John's introducing us to the language of family. The Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And I'm going to skip to verse 18 now. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. He has made him known. The one who is in closest relationship with the Father, the Son, he has made him known. And remember verse 12 we read a moment ago. He gave the right for us to become children of God. So we have a Father desiring a family. We have a Son coming into the world as the light of the world to show us the way. And we have an invitation to receive and become the children of God. John really wants us to know the language of family. He really wants us to know God is Father. He uses the word Father over a hundred times, which is far more than Matthew, Mark, and Luke use it. Meet Jesus. He reveals the Father who wants you in his family. I'm going to land this talking just for a a few more minutes about being sons and daughters in our Father's house. And I'm going to... Take a little tangent away from the what John's explicitly uh, talking about here, but I believe God wants to apply this to us this morning. Just remembering that He has called us to be sons and daughters in His house, and we are not orphans who are just tagging along for the ride. Fully brought in as sons and daughters who share in a family inheritance, not just a castaway standing at the door knocking, say, please, sir, can I have some more, but a son, a daughter sitting at the table. And I've got a question as we finish that, are we living as sons and daughters in the father's house or are we living like orphans and this is not to do with your biological family situation in your past because you can come from the most beautiful family but in your heart because of choices because of experience you can be living with an orphan heart and and the same the other way you can come out of incredible dysfunction and you can be living in the the blessing of being a son being a daughter in God's house so it's not to do with that kind of a background but do we have So yes, we've received him. Yes, we've come in. We know that we are children of God, but we can still guard our hearts. We can still create habits and orphan tendencies. I'm going to put some things up on the screen that will help unpack what that means. But I guess I'm drilling down into what verse 12 is all about, that he gave us the authority to become children of God. And... Want to, yeah, just want to land this in, in saying, let's ask the light of his presence to, to help us see, am I living in that? Am I living in that? Because so many of us spend so much time 
in defensiveness, in self-protection, in fear, in anxiety. And we need that light to shine and realize, oh, I've been living like an orphan, but I don't have to. I don't have to because that's not who I'm made to be. Um, let me put some um, comparisons up and that'll, that'll explain it better. So I've taken some material from uh, a guy called Jack Frost, who some of you would have heard of. I'll just run through these comparisons quickly. By the way, the heart of a, it says the heart of sonship, speaking from biblical language. It's not about a gender. When the Bible is talking about sonship, it's talking about, you know, in that ancient world, the privilege that the firstborn son would have, the inheritance, the responsibility, the privilege. That's the language of Scripture when it says we're brought into the family. It's like you're all brought into that place of privilege. So that's why it says sonship. So the heart of an orphan versus the heart of sonship. Just invite you to reflect on these as, as I quickly go through it. Because we want to be people who know our place in the family of God. So your image of God, what's your image of God like? Is it that you see God as a master or you see God as a loving father in the area of dependency? Am I someone who operates in independence and self-reliance? Or am I living in interdependence, able to give and receive, able to acknowledge need? Insecurity, am I someone living in insecurity and with a lack of peace? Or do I have rest and peace? What about the need for approval? Do I have a need for personal achievement in order to impress God and others or, or no motivation to serve at all? Or, oh, sorry, I skipped the one. Do I strive for the praise, approval, and acceptance of others versus being totally accepted in God's love and justified by his grace? Motive for service. Do I need personal achievement to impress God and others? Or do I have no motivation to serve at all? Or is my service motivated by a deep gratitude for being unconditionally loved and accepted by God? There's a huge difference. The motive behind Christian disciplines and habits, is it duty and earning God's favor or no motivation? Or as a son, do I pursue these things, prayer, the word, fasting, Serving out of pleasure and delight because I know who I am. Motive for purity. Do I feel like I must be holy to have God's uh, favor, thus increasing a sense of guilt and shame? Or do I want to be holy? Do I want to remove every barrier, every hindrance to intimacy with God? Self-image. So is it self-rejection? from comparing to others, that's the orphan tendency. Or am I living in a place of being positive and affirm because I know I have such value to God? What's my source of comfort? Am I looking for comfort in the counterfeit affections, escapism, living with that? I just need a veg. I just need to do it for me. That busyness, that hyper-religious activity, or am I able to seek times of quietness and solitude to rest in the Father's presence and love? Just a few more. Peer relationships, are they about competition, rivalry, jealousy towards others' success and position? 
Or do I live in humility and unity, valuing others, able to rejoice in their success, handling others' faults? Do I accuse? Do I want to expose to make myself look good, bad, and look good, and others look bad? That's the orphan tendency. Sonship and sonship love covers over as I seek to restore others in a spirit of gentleness. This is a big one: the view of authority. View of authority. Do I see authority as a source of pain? Am I distrustful toward them, lacking a heart attitude of submission? Or am I able to live in a way that's respectful, honoring, seeing them as ministers of God for good in your life? Do I have a freedom from fear that they are out to get me? That's been part of my journey. When a leader's coming to me, getting free from the fear that, oh, here we go, they're going to get me. Uh, next one. This is the last one. What's my view of correction? Another big one. Do I have difficulty receiving correction? You must be right so you easily get hurt and close your spirit to discipline. Or as a son, can I see the receiving of correction as a blessing and a catalyst for positive change in my life? Oh, the freedom of living in humility as a son, being at rest, able to receive correction and wisdom from others instead of having to fight it to validate myself. What's my expression of love like? Guarded and conditional, based on the performance of others, seeking to get my own needs met? Or is it open, patient, affectionate? Can I lay down my agendas in order to meet the needs of others? And finally, what's my perspective of the future? The orphan heart says, I've got to fight for what I can get. The heart of sonship is confident of a good inheritance. So maybe as I've gone through those lists, something has stood out. And just believe God wants to deal with orphan hearts in us. And it's not like a once-in-a-life moment. I've been on a journey for many years learning how to walk in the peace and the rest of sonship. And it's so good. It's so good to be free from the angst, the fear of correction, leaders attacking me, the fear of have I done enough? Have I proven myself? Are we made to live as sons and daughters in his house? This is the family he wants us to be. So what do we do with this? If you find yourself in a dark room looking at that, you don't try and scoop out the darkness. You turn on the light. You go to the light. You receive the light. You say, Jesus, you are the light. Let that light shine in. Expose everything because you know it already. Here I am and I'm asking for your help. That's the first thing is take it to him. Take it to him as the light. He's the one who came into the world, the one who's in closest relationship with the Father, the Son of the Father. He came into the world so that those who receive him would become children of God. That's what he wants for you. That's what he's fighting for you, to be a son, to be a daughter in the Father's house. So firstly, take it to him. The second way you can take it into the light is take it to a safe person and say, hey, this I realized today in that list, that thing about correction, that's me. I'm on the orphan side. I want to be free of that. Bring it into the light with a safe person. And pray through it together, work through it together.
So I believe that's for some, some of you here in this room today, that on your journey of being fully walking in your inheritance as children of God, God wants to deliver you from some of those orphan tendencies. And he wants to, he is able to, he's going to do it in us. Worship team, you can come up to help us close out this morning. Let's return to this verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And as I said before, John goes on later, years later to write this letter. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Let's stand and pray this morning as the team comes to to lead us. We'll be continuing the Meet Jesus series in a few weeks. But let's make a response. Lord, we, we stand in your presence today and we say thank you for your word. Thank you for the gift you gave through John that we could receive these words today and stand in awe of you as the word who was in the beginning, the one who has life within you, the one who is the light of the world, the one who has come, who has chosen to shine in the darkness. And Lord, we want to be a people who receive you and who believe in you and enter into the fullness of what it means to be children of God. So this morning, Lord, in these weak words, we're asking for you to move with power, to deliver us, God, from every orphan tendency that we may have. Lord, we want our hearts to be free and we want to be fully aligned with what it means when you call us son, daughter. We want to receive you as that light. We don't want to hide in the darkness, Lord. Lord, where there are people who are on this journey of exploring who you are, I ask for the spirit of revelation. I ask for that light. God, you who said, let there be light and there was light, shine on hearts and minds right now to bring the revelation of Jesus to them. Lord, for others of us who have been on this journey, some for a short time, some for decades, but Lord, we feel the pull of the orphan heart. Lord, help us, deliver us, bring us into the freedom of your love. God, it's not our striving that's going to displace this this orphan mentality. It's the Father's love. Jesus, you are the one who connects us to the Father's love. So let that love come in and displace every fear, every anxiety. Pull down all those walls that we would live in the freedom of the children of God. Come and do it, Lord. We ask this for the glory of your name.